I am non-tenant. And I'm Michael Foster, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. And what are we talking about today, Michael? Uh, we're actually talking with our friend Craig James of Masculine by Design. Craig is uh, an early friend of the show because he was retweeting a lot of our stuff on Twitter and help us uh, you know, get a broader audience. So we're really thankful to have them on here. We're going to talk about what it means to realize that you don't have to be mediocre as a man, both in your physique, but also just in the whole of life. Sounds good. It's good to have you on, Craig. Yeah. Thank you, gentlemen, for having me on. And Michael, you made it easy to, uh, to share what you guys are doing. You guys do an excellent job of uh, interweaving uh, the truth of scripture with uh, pragmatic realities and helping men to live uh, in accordance with the way that they've been designed, which is part of my mission as well. It's the masculine by design mission is uh, to draw men back to the purpose and uh, the purpose behind the way that they've been designed with masculinity and with the tendencies to be strong, to be bold, to have that fire inside and pursue uh, excellence and all that it is to be a man. So I appreciate you allowing me the opportunity to talk to your audience and uh, I appreciate everything that you guys do and I'll continue to support you. we just jump jump in this way um tell us a little bit about masculine by design and kind of the story how you got into it because um you and i recorded an episode months ago that the sound got screwed up on and uh i'll I'll repeat to you now what i said then is that uh when i was considering it's good to be man about three years ago i was wondering like where are the christian podcasts on masculinity and i found a lot of what basically were sermons re- repurposed by pastors. Uh, some of those were like these kind of men podcasts and, and they were like a mixed bag to say the least. Most of them were pretty bad. Some of them are all right. A lot of it's kind of white knight, blue pill sort of stuff. And uh, then I came across you and Zach's stuff with family alpha and masculine by design. And I was like, okay, what's going on here? And, and your stuff, I could tell you were a Christian right away. Um, when I listened to you talk. And so you were one of the first podcasts I listened to when I was considering uh, getting into this with It's Good to Be a Man. So you kind of are an inspiration, honestly, for this show and a genesis behind that. So praise God that you stepped out and started your podcast. But what caused you to do it? Yeah, so uh, I, I believe what part of what we're going to talk about today is uh, in the realm of displaying excellence with our level of fitness and health as men. And so what led me into this was actually about a decade of being a fitness consultant, a fitness blogger. I I was a fitness author. I had a podcast and did that for about 10 years, Uh, helped uh, dozens or even hundreds of men and women uh, reclaim their physiques from, you know, mediocrity to something that they could be more proud of and have self-confidence in. And so I did that for about 10 years and just really got uh, just kind of bored with it. You know, you, after just my personality is that I, I like to try new things. I like to, uh, you know, indulge in a lot of different areas and, and uh, just spending that amount of time in that one area um, just started to get a little bit stale and it's still a passion of mine. I'm still very much into resistance training, you know, conditioning. I, I eat well. Um, I, I track what I eat for the most part. So it is something that will stick with me for my, the entirety of my life. But um, I was ready for something new, something different. I felt that I had so, a different level and different type of value to give to the world. And so I decided to to quit with the the fitness blogging. I loved blogging. I loved podcasting. 
And so I knew I wanted to continue doing that, but I just wasn't sure what the uh, subject matter was that I wanted to pursue. And so I spent about six months uh, praying and I was so anxious that I, I just wanted to start something new. And I'm a, I'm a trigger puller. So when I get an idea and I get inspired to do something, I often don't ponder it for very long. I go ahead and, and push forward. And it was very hard for me to sit there and just ponder and pray and wait. And I, I just wasn't sure exactly what direction I should be going. And after about six months, I started getting this prompting to uh, explore uh, more, more about my own life and, and what, what is it that I feel that I do well and where am I excelling and succeeding and comparing that to uh, other men in my life and seeing the areas that they're struggling with. And for about six to eight weeks, I had numerous conversations with men in, in my sphere uh, who were struggling with their fitness. They were struggling with parenting. They were struggling with getting sex from their wives. They were struggling with just what it is to be a man. And uh, you know, fortunately for me, I grew up in a home with a mother and a father, a feminine mother, a masculine father. Uh, my father, uh, you know, not perfect, just as as any father you know isn't, uh, but really taught me the value of hard work, the value the value of discipline that uh, largely the outcomes that we achieve in life have to do with the effort that we expend toward the things that, that we desire. And so he instilled a lot of those principles uh, into my life that have proven to be very valuable and be a blessing to me. And a lot of men don't have that. And that was, I know, Michael, you tweet a lot about this, how there are a lot of, a lot of bastards out there today. And you mean that yep. in the very literal sense of the word. They, they don't know what it is to be a man because they didn't grow up in a home that had a man to teach them what it is to be a man. And, you know, uh, nothing against the, the single moms out there. A lot of them are doing their best, but they simply don't have the, the tools and the nature that uh, God gives to men. To Women make on. terrible fathers. Fathers make terrible mothers. Exactly right. And so as I saw that and started uh, seeing the opportunities to consult the men in my own circles, whether that be at work or the men on my softball team or, or men at church or young men at church, um, that really fomented inside of me the desire to take that a step further. And I started, started thinking deeply about, about matters. I didn't know anything about uh, Red Pill. I didn't know anything about you know, Jack Donovan and his work way of men. I had never really delved into these things. Um, and so I started doing that. And what, what I found with, uh, with different works, you know, secular works like that, uh, that Rolo was putting out there on his blog and in his books uh, and, and other, other works from other authors is that the, there was a lot of very good rationale and reason behind the things that were working for me, but I had never, had never really heard them articulated in those ways. And so, you know, when I, when I read Rolo's works, a lot of the things that he articulates in his books uh, while not necessarily coming from a Christian perspective, really started to drive home a lot of the uh, reasons behind why the way that I lived was so effective. And I, I appreciated that. Uh, he and I have hit, had since have since had a falling out, but I still appreciate his work. And, and really yeah, you, Rolo and the world has since had a falling out. <laughs> that is true. I am one of many. Yes. <laughs> but uh, we, we all appreciate the research and work he's done nonetheless. Absolutely. And, yeah. and, you know, as men, we have to have that ability to use discernment in the things that we read and, and understand that, you know, there is there just because we don't agree with the whole of, of something that somebody might believe or the whole of what they're, uh, what they're communicating to us doesn't mean that there aren't tidbits of truth and things of value that we mm -hmm. can pull from that. Amen. And so that is how I approach Rolo's work. And it has been valuable uh, for my life. Um, but as I started looking at that, um, what, I, what I really came down to as a, at a foundational level was that uh, what men truly need to be doing is understanding the way that they've been designed by Almighty God. And the, the, the problem, however, comes into the fact that the world is very entropic. So en entropy is the natural state of things. If we're not fighting back against 
uh, the forces that seek to make us impotent as men, uh, we will we will become impotent. And so we, we have to be intentional about designing our lives around fostering, strengthening, developing, and refining those characteristics that Almighty God has placed within us as men, or they will go to waste and that potential will go unrealized. And so that is where the masculine by design name comes from. It's kind of a twofold twofold approach. It's we're designed to be masculine and we also have to design our lives around that masculinity if we're going to have the greatest impact uh, that we can on the world. That's great. I, I love the name. I think the name's great. Um, second only to it's good to be a man. <laughs> I think it's wonderful. Um, so you start doing the, the podcast, but you're also, you, you and Zach um, Small, who for, for a time went by Hunter Drew, uh, you all started Fraternity of Excellence, which is We've started something kind of like that. Uh, you basically start to realize that men are disconnected and that uh, while an online community is not a replacement for um, a flesh and blood community, it is a supplement and important. So can you tell a little bit about how you and Zach develop Fraternity of Excellence and what it is and uh, and I, I, I had the pleasure of meeting a lot of the guys from FOE when I was down in Orlando a couple, uh, like a month ago. And uh, I was really impressed by the quality of the men I met. Like, so there's probably about 15 of them down there. But can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, unfortunately, I couldn't make it down. There would have been great to meet you and, and hang out with, uh, with my brothers from the Fraternity of Excellence. But uh, yeah, we rolled deep down to, uh, down to that uh, 21 count. I think yeah, we had 15 guys this year. I think it was 10 or 11 last year. Um, I think we, we had our own table, if I, if I remember correctly, uh, from what Zach was saying. But, um, yeah, it's, and, and it's amazing. That, that community has, has far surpassed the expectations we even had for it when we, when we opened the doors. Uh, and that it, it is just amazing what happens when men come together with other men, particularly when they're, are, they are surrounded uh, or encompassed by uh, the same kind of a mission. And our mission in FOE, it's not necessarily – a Christian one. We do have certain channels and groups in there for the Christian brothers to have those more specific conversations. Uh, but our mission is simply to uh, allow every man to have the opportunity to engage with other men, to state what it is they're working toward, what are their deepest desires in life, to be held accountable to that and to receive the support that they need and to be built up in order to accomplish those desires that they have. And what we see with the men in there, and I'm sure you've seen this as well in your ministry, uh, Michael and Nan, is that uh, men have very similar desires in life. You know, we, we want to be good providers. We want to learn how to lead. We want self-confidence. Uh, we want uh, sexual attention from our wives. Uh, you know, we, we, we want to have an impact on the world. We want to achieve some form of greatness. And it's just amazing to see that common thread that has taken place in there. And more than that, though, just the power that is unleashed when men come together and, and have that community behind their back. You know, we've had men that have gone from, in, in the three years we've, we've been in there, we've had multiple men that have gone from, you know, starting a fledgling online business that now, you know, work full-time online. We have men who are on Fat, the Fat, homeless horse. guys yeah. screwing it all up, and <laughs> now you've yeah, got... You, you probably heard from Jeff at 21 Con. I mean, yeah, I, Jeff, I was on Jeff's podcast the other day, and Jeff and I lived a mile apart from each other in South Carolina, uh, crazy enough. Um, but you know, Jeff was homeless with a bunch of kids and a wife and Rometheus. I don't know what his real name is, but that guy is real active on Twitter and he's a professional author among other things. Yeah, Adam Lane Smith. Yeah. So he, Adam Lane he, Smith, just, that's right. he just quit his job as a licensed, uh, physical or not physical therapist, uh, family therapist, um, to, yeah, he works full time for himself. And those are two of, two of, you know, several more, 
um, who have similar stories, guys who have gone from, you know, fat to reclaiming their health and fitness, guys who have been on the brink of divorce, who have saved their marriages. And, and, you know, it's, it's not any one guy or even a few guys that get the credit for that. It's simply what happens when men come together and, and they have other brothers that they can confide in and that truly want to see them succeed. Uh, again, the power that is unleashed is absolutely incredible. And it, it's exceeded my, my expectation. You know, I have brothers in my own circles, you know, here, here in uh, St. Louis, Missouri, who, who I confide in and, and have accountability with. Um, but a lot of men don't have that. And when you, when you can find that, even if it is online, uh, it's, it's a great thing. And so what you guys are doing is awesome. And I can't wait to see how that's impacting uh, the lives of the men who are in your group as well. I mean, I, I, I'll tell you the truth is when I, I hung out with a lot of the guys down by the pool and smoked cigars and hung out with Jack Donovan and all the guys. And um, when I saw the quality of the men and the direction of their life in terms of just self-discipline and vision, honesty, directness, and speech, a lot of characteristics that sadly, um, even in evangelical Protestant circles are lacking, I thought, because Don and I had been tossing around the idea of something like Tyrannus Hall, which is what we call RFOE. Um, and we had been tossing around the idea for a while, but I got extra motivated to do it after I spent time with those guys because I'm like, this is good. These guys are pushing each other um, to be excellent. Don, do you have a thought? Look at you. Oh, I really wanted to find out what kind of uh, process Craig puts his new recruits through if, if he has one, because it sounds like they've got a very intentional kind of community there. And we know that having open forums can be kind of a crapshoot in terms of how much content gets absorbed by anyone. So do you have a particular process that people go through when they first join? And, and do you have a way of uh, keeping people accountable that isn't just an open forum where you know, everyone just kind of says what's on their mind? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I'll say that it's been an iterative process. And you know, uh, Zach and I were actually just on uh, Jacques Hopkins' uh, online course creator podcast. I, I think that episode will be re- released here in another three or four weeks. Uh, but we actually went deep into you know, the story behind Fraternity of Excellence and all of our, you know, hard lessons learned and whatnot. But um, the process, you know, we, we opened the doors. Uh, we, we made the decision to start the Fraternity of Excellence uh, with about a two-week deadline to open the doors. And so um, me on very little sleep did a lot of the, the development and, you know, putting the site together, getting the payment processing in place and all of that. Now, when we first opened the doors, things were very rudimentary and, and we've obviously evolved over time. And so today what that looks like is we have about 160 men in there. And as we grew past that 100 member mark, we, we found that uh, the men started getting more disparate. It was, it was really hard for the new men who were coming in there to engage and build those bonds and relationships with the men who have been there for a long time. You start getting these clicks forming. And so we made the decision to, to break the, the men up into teams. So we now have five team leaders that all have, have their own group of men. And uh, we, we're, the goal is to keep that to about 40 or fewer men in each team. So as we get you know, more members than that, we'll just add another team member and, and, and keep moving forward. Um, we, we have plenty of channels within our Slack group that uh, all the men can engage in, but then they also have their own team channels. Uh, we, have a, we have subject matter experts that, that do their own Zoom meetings. So we pretty much have one every single day of the week. So we have a sex and relationship Zoom meeting. We have a, a financial investing Zoom meeting. We have a fatherhood Zoom meeting. We have open chat meeting. We have a roundtable discussion where Zach or I lead that and, and it's just topical on something that, that we think is important for the men to discuss. And then each of the team leaders also have a weekly team meeting that is specific to, the, to their team members as well. 
Um, we bring in outside subject matter experts. We've had men like Alexander Cortez, Tanner Guzzi, um, Ed Lattimore, um, we, just for Q&A sessions, Ivan Throne, just to, to let the guys, you know, pepper these guys with questions and, and see what value they can pull out of, out of what they have to give. Um, so as far as when guys get in, I mean, really the, the first process is they go through an onboarding chat with their team leader. We find out why, why did they join? Uh, what do they hope to get out of the place? And then the team leader shares that with the leadership team. Uh, all of the men uh, pretty much engage. We have a great group of guys. And when we have an introduction channel, so when somebody joins, they, we, we require them to post an introduction. And usually within the first day, they have 20, 30, 40 guys welcoming them and, and just, again, peppering them with questions, you know, and, and giving them advice and admonishing them on the things that they can do. Because part of that introduction is we ask them to share why they're there. Why are, why are they in Fraternity of Excellence? What do they want to achieve? Now, what are they working on as men? And some guys join and they, they honestly have no idea. They simply know something's missing. They say, I know there's more out of life. I know that I'm, I'm displaying mediocrity. I know that there's, there's something greater that I desire for myself, but I'm not quite sure what it is. And usually within a day or two, those juices start flowing as, as they are interacting with the men and, and they're getting questioned on, on what they value in life. And uh, that, that's really base level of our process. But really what we try to encourage is engagement, engagement, engagement. You know, these guys are, are paying money to get in there. We want men who have skin in the game and they're not just going to come in there and lurk and, and not, and not invest in, in themselves because, because they're not paying any money. So uh, there is a, a cash, a, a paywall there that men have to, have to, uh, have to deal with, but we find that that also means a lot more engagement for the men who stick around. Um, and we also hold every man in there to a standard. We have kicked out plenty of men who you know, have stuck around and, and maybe they have engaged, but we aren't seeing the improvements. We're not seeing them working on the things that they're professing to want for themselves. And, you know, we usually give them several warnings, but at the end of the day, uh, if we have men in there who aren't doing the work and aren't upholding the standard that we all are setting for ourselves, then they're, they're just bringing everybody else down. And, and that's something we can't tolerate. That's very interesting to me because that's something which I think um, the Western world has made anathema. We've got, I think primarily due to the feminization of all modes of discourse and, and every kind of society we have, it's essentially disallowed to remove people because they're not meeting a certain standard. You can remove people because they're not saying the right things um, because they're offending others, but to remove people for not meeting a standard or because they profess to, to want something which they don't then actually achieve uh, don't, don't make the effort to achieve is very refreshing to hear. Um, do you have a, a method for helping men to develop a mission? Because it seems like everything that we do is very objective oriented with men and achieving what we want to achieve requires being able to put into words what that is going to be. And I think a lot of men really struggle with figuring out what is my mission going to be in life? Yeah, I'll answer that uh, in two parts. So the first part is one of the mistakes that we made early on was trying to fit every man in the fraternity of excellence into a mold. And so we had a book club and every, every, I don't want to say every month, but we'd go through a book. So we typically read a chapter or two of whatever book it, it was that we were going through. So we read David Data as a superior man. We read Ivan Thrones, Nine Laws. We, we, we read these books and, and every Tuesday we'd get together on a Zoom meeting and there'd be 20 or 30, 40 of us. And we'd be discussing what we, what we learned through the book and what, what, what we think we could take from it to be a value to our lives. And after a few months, it became very clear 
that that was not a good idea because every man that was coming into the fraternity of excellence was coming from different places. You know, we'd read a book on sexuality or, or red pill or whatever. And these guys were already far along in that area. And so they were dropping off or, you know, I'm not getting value out of this because you're trying to, you know, force me into these things that, that, that I'm already pretty well developed on and, and I'm here for a completely different reason. And so what we do now is kind of, kind of like the process I just explained. It's, it's letting every man determine for himself what it is he desires. But once he puts that out there to the community and says, these are the things I want to work on. I want to develop a stronger spiritual life. I want to be a better father to my, to my son, sons and my daughter. I want to make more money at work. I want to start a business. Once, once they say these things, the men in there are on them. I mean, they're, they're, they're hounding them, making sure that they're doing the things that they say that they want to achieve in life. And it's different for every man. We have some guys who, um, who, who are very, very, uh, much into fitness and that that's their goal right now you know they're 300 pounds they got 100 pounds to lose to to hit their goal weight that they want to achieve and then we have other guys who are struggling to make ends meet and they they just want to you know make a side income or find a way to to get a certification or the training that they need to make more money at their current job and so it's really all across the board but we try very much to not fit any any of the guys into a mold it's it's letting them determine for themselves and there's really not a process for it other than just questioning. I mean, it's, it's, why are you here? You know, what, what are you unhappy with in your life? What circumstances would you prefer to change? Uh, And after that starts getting the juices flowing, you'll see guys, they'll they'll start prodding and getting into their past and finding out how they got to where they were. And that usually opens up uh, a lot of, a lot of discussion and discourse as well. I think it's wonderful. I mean, I think you don't see that in churches to, to, I think Nan had said it in the West. Um, In general, the, the purpose of a church is to keep people comfortable, right? To comfort and say, everything's okay. You don't need to change. And you don't want people to feel bad at all in any uh, way, shape, or form. And not that, that a men's group should be about shaming a guy, but it should be about direct speech. Like, like you know, you shouldn't be that fat. You shouldn't be. That's not natural, Right. Like it's not like it's never been like that throughout history. And if you were just more active and had more self-control, you wouldn't be that fat. Like just or like you actually you can make a lot of money or you make decent money. You don't have to be poor. Like there's just a need for someone to straight up tell them the truth. And what I find with men is the people who tell you the hard things, they may make you really mad. But in the long run, you appreciate them and you trust them more. And you really, it really is what builds, it's what builds tight bonds behind men. The ability to rebuke and correct each other, admonish like the word you're using. But from a place of not like, it's not a pissing contest. It's nothing like that. It's, it's seriously truth speaking. Is this yeah. telling the truth? Like this, yeah, if, somebody, if somebody tells me in the fraternity of excellence that I'm getting fat, I know they're not saying it to cut me down to make themselves feel better. They're, they're, they honestly see something and they're wanting to point it out to me before it becomes uh, so dangerous or detrimental in my life that it's, uh, it's you know, a big problem. So uh, there, there's, there's a place for that. And men, a lot of men, we, we have men that come in and the first Zoom session they're on, again, guys will start questioning them and they'll ask them what's going on and they'll say, you know, their marriage is screwed up and, and guys will look at them and say, well, well, look at the way you're dressed, man. Well, you're 50 pounds overweight. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing to get these things under control? Would, would you want to uh, have sex with a woman that you married 10 years ago, who's now 75 pounds heavier 
and wears sweatpants and, and a holy t-shirt every day? Of course not. <laughs> yeah, right, you know, right, you, right. Are, are you, are you thinking, thinking about what you're doing here? And we have guys that sometimes they'll leave, you know, they're, they're just not, they're not used to having men confront them so directly. Uh, but for the men who come in there and can understand that we honestly have their, their best interests in heart and we're not, we're not doing it from a place of, of malicious intent. We're doing it from a, we're hitting them with a two by four of love, right? We're letting them know this is, this is what's good for you. And we want you to succeed, but you have to get these things under control if that's going to happen. The two by four of love. That might be the name of this episode. <laughs> Go on. I like it. I, actually, have- I, I think a pastor uh, used that one time. And I've, I've, I've held on to it. That's a good one. When you have people who leave, um, I'm curious if you find that they tend to fall into younger age brackets. Do you tend to find that the older men are, are more willing to take that hard love? That's a, that's a very good question. And I, I actually, I don't really see a correlation for age. And we, so we have, I would say our median, median age in FOE is probably mid to late thirties. Uh, but we have men that are anywhere from, I think our youngest is maybe 23, 24, um, up to early sixties. And, uh, that, but I, I, I see where you're going with that question. Um, but the fact is we don't have a lot of men that are you know, 18, 19, 20, even, even in their twenties, I would say it's probably 15% of our members are are in their twenties. We have mostly guys that are 30 and above. Um, but I do think that, uh, we've actually been pretty fortunate. Some of our younger guys have come in and really just hit the ground running. I I can think of a few, a few, uh, individuals in particular. Um, but yes, in general, young men today, they, they, they don't know how to receive uh, harsh words, even when those words are true and they're coming from a place of love. Um, I, I've been a, uh, a leader and teacher, um, at our church, uh, right now I'm not, but last year I was a teacher of our middle school boys and just the level of timidity and inability to uh, step up and speak their mind. It, it, uh, it has actually caused cause for concern and I've really tried to work with them and some of them come out of their shell and others don't. But, um, yeah, I, I, I do see that as a problem that the younger generation today, doesn't again they don't interact with men and men who do interact with other men understand that you know we can be direct and that's not always a bad thing but if you're not around that you, you don't know how to take it the first the first time you encounter it i think of how i was as a young man and i was pretty lazy and didn't like to hear otherwise and very entitled it's interesting how laziness and entitlement tend to go together and i think if I had encountered people like, like me or like you or like Michael, when I was at that age, I would have reacted very negatively towards them. And it seems to me that the, the current crop of the younger generation is presumably even worse than I was. I mean, I think I was a pretty bad example of my generation, but it seems like the younger generation today is like that all the time. So, in a sense, it almost seems like I'm not even sure if I'm working up to a question here or if I'm just ranting, but it seems like we're in a situation where we've got a particular age bracket of men. You said it was about mid to late thirties. It seems to be quite a, um, a predominant age bracket of men who are working through this problem. And it's almost as if the men in the, the decade below them or the two decades below them are essentially a lost cause. And now we're working to, establish a new generation after that of our own sons in the hope that we can correct the problem from the ground up. 
which is the right way to attack it. I think, I think the reason that we see a lot of men in their 30s and 40s uh, entering our community, and, and I don't know how, what you guys have seen as far as the age demographics and yours, but um, I think that's, that gives them enough time where they hit rock bottom. You know, that they've, they've engaged in those unhealthy behaviors. Maybe they're going through a divorce. They've, they've lost their kids in a custody battle, and they have finally gotten to the point where the pain of staying the same is greater than, than, than the pain of change. And so... Mm-hmm. Uh, they're ready to change and they're ready to seek something new and they're ready to find, uh, find mentors in the community that can support them. Whereas the guys who are, who are younger in their twenties, they're, they're not really there yet. Um, but I also think we have to look at the reason behind that. And we've touched on this already, um, earlier. It's, you know, these, these boys are growing up in homes without fathers and a lot of them that have fathers, the fathers are not, they're not the strong, bold, um, individuals who are going to tell them like it is. And, you know, when, when our, when our boys are growing up, coddled by, by women. And there's, you know, women, there's a place for that. Women have that nurturing, more emotional side to them. And that's great, but it needs to be tempered with that more bold and assertive nature of men. And a lot of our boys are growing up predominantly in, in feminized environments. Uh, they're, they're being taught by, by women in school. They're being taught by women at church. They're being raised by women in the home. And when they get out into the real world and the real world smacks them in the face and it's not there to coddle them when they, when they fail and they don't, uh, they don't live in accordance with reality. Um, it can be a real wake up call. I want to talk about lifting weights for a second because an old pastor I knew, he, he thought of lifting weights as just vanity as, you know, like kind of, you know, the weightlifting thing or whatever. But I got to tell you that, um, so for me, I was an athlete in uh, high school, and and then after high school, I, I did some MMA and boxing, and uh, and then you know I I got swallowed in the Bible studies and drinking Red Bull and sitting up in the middle of the night and eating whatever I wanted, and my metabolism crashed as it would, and then you know gained weight, kept the muscle but added the fat, you know. Um, and so and then I, I I wish I had some guy be like, hey, dude kind of a fat ass, you know, and, uh, it took me a while to really, it's funny. Cause when you're, uh, when you're well built and strong, even when you put weight on your self conception is who you were back then, right? You actually see yourself in your head as a different version of you, you know what I mean? And, and, and just while like standing in front of like a big mirror and looking at yourself and like turning to the side, it was really helpful. Like really? Um, but I think, uh, for me, I, uh, especially when I went down to 21 and I got all those HD cameras on me and I'm like, Oh, I even worked out hard that month. Um, and realizing where I need to go. I do know that when you start lifting weights and getting in shape, the amount of confidence that comes to you as a man and this is incredibly uh, empowering and helps you tackle the rest of your life. And it seems like a lot of guys don't understand what it's like to be fat and out of shape and weak. Some of these pastors that criticize it. Can you talk a little bit about your whole dad bod thing? And I know for you, it's not, it's not just calories and getting in shape, but there's like a mentality behind it as well that you're trying to address. Absolutely. I appreciate that you brought up uh, the pastor that talked about, you know, lifting weights being an exercise in vanity. Um, I actually, I made a few notes before coming on here. And that was one of the things that I had put down was uh, something that I've heard quite a bit, you know, so, so I mentioned I was a fitness blogger. So um, as, as I, I became a Christian in 2006 and that was right around the time that I also started getting my fitness together. So I grew up a very skinny yet athletic individual 
and started lifting weights at about the age of 13. And at that point in time, I was roughly the same height I am now. So six foot one and 130 pounds. So bean pole, you know, I used to get teased all the time, you know, Craig, you got to run around the shower just to get wet. You know, if the wind blows <laughs> too hard, you blow away, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that, but, but, you know, while that, while that shaming might not be the, the uh, way I would have preferred people went about to uh, prod me in a, in a better direction, it did motivate me. And I, I started lifting weights and didn't really know what I was doing. I, 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 my dad got a, a bench and a barbell from one of his brothers who, who was moving into a new house and didn't have room for it. And so I just, I did curls until my arms were about to fall off. I did bench Was it press. those real skinny bars? And the it one where on the, one. the one on the bench that has the, the arms super close? Yeah, yeah, uh, that's exactly what it was. Yep. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, I do sit-ups, you know, till, till I couldn't do them anymore. And, and uh, you know, built some decent upper body strength, but never really paid attention to my nutrition until I got to high school. And then I started paying a lot more attention. I became friends with some of the football players and athletes that had some wisdom that I, I hadn't come across before. And um, by the time I graduated, I was 175 pounds, looked really good with my shirt off, one of the, one of the most fit guys uh, in my school. Uh, went to college, similar to your experience, Michael, went to college uh, for an electrical engineering degree, uh, joined a fraternity. My first uh, year there, I stuck with uh, with the weight training, but didn't really watch what I was eating too well, which actually worked well for me because it helped me pack on a lot of weight. I was about 190 pounds and looked, looked really good at that point after my freshman year. Um, but then my studies and partying really took over. Uh, I didn't, didn't keep training. I kept eating poorly. And by the time I graduated, I was about 240 pounds and looked nothing wow. like I looked, I looked like when I entered college. And so that was about 2005. So for another year or so, I continued with my poor habits and put on another 10 pounds or so. I was about 250 pounds when I finally uh, I accepted Christ. And part of my decision to get my fitness back in order was related to that because I started understanding that uh, the way that I was living was not honoring to God. I was, I was living a, a gluttonous lifestyle. Um, I was drinking too much, uh, drinking too heavily, and uh, eating, eating way too many calories, not, not, not treating my body well at all. I had high blood pressure, acid reflux that was so bad it would wake me up multiple times every night. I had rosacea that made me look like Santa Claus, like my cheeks would just glow red. And if I had two or three beers, it would, it would just I'd light up like a jack-o'-lantern. It looked terrible. Um, and so I decided to get that under control. And being several years out of, out of that, you know, trying to live fit and, and eating well, um, I kind of had to start from ground zero and really learn things, learn things from the ground up. And so I did a lot of research and decided I was going to get educated. So I, I became certified as a personal trainer nutritionist and started learning things, experimenting and figuring out what, what worked, what didn't, what was really essential, what wasn't, and developed my own program that I used to, to drop uh, about 70 pounds of body fat, went from, I don't even know, I never, I didn't calculate it when I first started, I would guess 30 plus percent body fat down to about seven um, and that was just completely life-changing. So you, you talk about these guys that want to talk about, about vanity. Well, you know, I, I don't know about the churches you've been in, Michael, but uh, the majority of the men who are leaders in the churches that I've been in, they're the 20, 30, 30% body fat type men. And, and while I do think that we can fall into a trap of uh, putting too much emphasis on the way that we look and the way that we feel and, and training our bodies, um, I also think that there's some shame to go around for the men who don't put enough emphasis on it. Yeah, you and should need to put a pillow in your shirt if you're going to be Santa Claus for the kids. 
Mm. It's a decent rule. <laughs> if you can go on Survivor and not eat the whole time and be all right, that's problematic. But yeah, yeah. Christian men are are fat. Americans are fat, but Christians are. And the thing is, what we've told us, I've I've told myself this. So like when a woman has babies, she gets she gets scars, right? Stretch marks from having the babies. And then I used to think, well, you know, I've got to neglect my health to some degree to to pull the hours I pull at the job. And so even if I'm getting a pot belly, it's like her getting her scars from having a baby because I'm doing all these hours. But the reality is, is that the body, it's, it's, it's pretty, God's uh, made it to be very resilient, right? Right amount of sleep, right amount of water and, and really fairly moderate exercise. Like the number of times a week will get you really good results for most people. Problem with most folks is they've lived such a destructive life and it's hard for them to see like, look, dude, you've been lazy and you've ate crap for years and it's not going to change overnight. But the really wild thing is, is how much ground you can like, uh, reclaim in a short period of time. And it hurts your witness. I mean, once you lose weight and you put a suit on or something, you, you feel people treat you differently. And uh, it, hurts, it hurts because it does demonstrate for most people, if you're severely obese, it's because you're gluttonous and you lack self-discipline. Not everybody, right? But most people, that's what it's been for me. Right. And maybe everyone else out there, this has that mysterious hormone problem, right? Their thyroid problem that everyone seems to happen. And if it is, give up, man. Eat whatever you want. It's just your thyroid. You can't do anything about it. You can be like Jabba the Hutt if you want. But for those of us that think maybe it's not my thyroid, maybe it's me, like, what would you tell that person who's like looking at themselves in the mirror and saying, you know what? I want to take responsibility for this. Where, where, where would they start? Yeah. So good question, Michael. And one thing I want to point out before I get into that is that I I noticed um, after I started making those changes that I truly had forgotten what it felt like to actually treat my body well. You know, you mentioned drinking a lot of water, getting sufficient sleep, eating whole foods, training my body regularly, you know, because we we get stuck in this, this cycle of eating terrible foods and not training our bodies and not giving our bodies enough, enough rest where that just becomes the new normal. And so we just think this is how everybody feels. This is, this is just life. And once we start to turn that around, it's amazing how eye-opening that is to realize the difference that that makes because you said it very well. I mean, our bodies are connected to our spirit and the, the way that we carry ourselves matters uh, in terms of the way, that, the way that we look and the way that we feel in terms of how strong we are and how confident we are with our appearance. Um, our mental clarity is tied to to our physical fitness, uh, even our personal integrity. It's it's very hard for me to hear anybody talk to me about matters of personal discipline while you're 100 pounds overweight. I mean, I'm sorry, but if you aren't taking care of your uh, most important physical asset in this life, which is your body, it's hard for me to listen to you on matters uh, that are that are of less importance. Um, our our ability to influence others is is impacted as a result. And so, what I would say to those who are who are just looking to get started, and this is wh- where I approach my program, uh, Death Blow to the Dad Bot. It's it's it is from the ground floor. So it doesn't matter where you're starting from. I explain um, how to understand what you're eating, uh, what what you should be eating, and how to also measure your results and change what you're eating and how you're training in order to make sure that 
Uh, you never plateau. You can continue getting those results uh, over time. Uh, but what's really eye-opening is I had been uh, starting to, to be a fitness consultant. So I started actually just doing one-on-one consultant with those in my community uh, before I ever wrote a book. So I had, I had created this program. I lost a bunch of weight, looked great. And everybody starts to ask me, Craig, what'd you do, man? Like, I, I, I want similar results for me. And so um, I started taking on some personal fitness clients and helping them out. And one of the first things I always would have them do is track what they're eating. And I'd also ask them, what, what, do you, what do you think you're eating every day? How many calories do you think you're eating? How many grams of protein? How many grams of carbs? And they tell me. And I don't think, I think with zero exceptions, everybody always was eating more calories by far than they thought they were. They were eating more carbs than they thought they were, and they were eating less protein than they thought they were. And so that's usually where I start is having, having people track what they're eating so they can get an idea of their baseline because most people think that they're doing a lot better than they really are. And again, that's eye-opening because they see that and they're like, man, no wonder I'm, I'm fat and out of shape and, and look the way I do now that I know what I'm eating. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's like budgeting. You don't know where a lot of your money is going to. You start tracking every dollar. And I can think of people who do like uh, think they're on a low-carb diet. And they'll tell me, hey, I'm doing low-carb. And then you see them eating things. And I'm like, do you know what that potato's made out of? It's made out of carbs. Like, I'm not telling you not to eat it, but you're the one that said you're on a low-carb diet. Do you know how many carbs are in that? <laughs> or they're drinking like a Coke. I'm like, each gram of sugar, that's a carb, you know? Let's, and so, yeah, you're right. People, you don't, you actually have to, I think the first thing when you're trying to think of like rehabbing a house, like what's wrong with the house? Let's just look at it. Let's do this. And matter of fact, one of your FOE brothers, uh, Phil Foster, he and I uh, had dinner and I met him and his, his wonderful wife That's down awesome. there. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's intense. He's, yeah, he is intense. That's right. He, he did a speech on intensity. And at one point he screamed and it like, it was like, it was so loud. It was intense. But uh, so he's doing my blood work for me and he's going to tell me um, because I actually do live a really disciplined life when it comes to my food. And, you know, I did seven miles today. That's normal for me um, just to be fairly, fairly active at this point. And uh, clearly something's not right. But uh, I, 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 it was helpful just to look at yourself and, and know like this is where I'm at. This is what I'm taking and actually take doing an accounting so you can start taking responsibility and know like, cause you're right. Like things slip in. It's like amazing. Like when you're trying to hit a certain caloric number, like where do the calories come from in your condiments, condiments where people are drinking themselves into obesity nowadays. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but that's, that's awesome. So are you a, uh, so you start, you got to get the diet stuff down. Do you recommend a particular type of diet? No. So, um, I, I try, so over time I have, I've done things that were very restrictive, things that allowed more freedom. And I've, I've tried to land on allowing as much freedom as possible while still being able to get fantastic results. And so, um, obviously you, you have to restrict certain things, but the way that I tend to attack it is eating whole foods roughly 80% of the time. And you know, the other 20% of the time, if you want to have pizza, you want to have cake, whatever, have it. Um, just don't gorge yourself. You know, have two pieces of pizza, not eight. Um, if, if you want to have, have, a, have a few beers, fine. Have a few beers. Don't have 12. Um, and so that's, that's how I approach it in the program. Um, and, and we have to understand that a lot of the problems that, that we face, uh, whether, and this, this isn't a program that just tries to attack how you look with your shirt off. It's about developing a lifestyle that promotes health and quality of life. 
And we look at things like cancer, diabetes. I mean, all, all of these things are directly related to what we're feeding our body and what we're not doing with our physical activity. And so just wanted to point that out, that this is not just about um, looking good with your shirt off. You can have a, a relatively poor diet as long as you're tracking your calories and making sure that you're not eating to excess, assuming you have a, ba- a good base level of muscle. And you can still look good with your shirt off. You're not going to be healthy. You're still not giving your body the nutrients it needs to thrive and to recover um, and to be healthy. Uh, but you can do that. Uh, but but I don't, I, didn't, I don't set out to live a life where I just maybe look good with my shirt off. I want to, to look good. I want to feel good. I want to know that uh, I'm, I have the peace of mind of knowing that as I age, you know, hopefully I'm doing the best that I can to make sure I'm avoiding uh, debilitating disease as much as it is in my power to do so. And that's what I, what I want. So as far as the diet goes, I mean, you could say paleo is, is, is a, a way that I, I would call that a good way to eat um, because that is, that is a, a whole foods diet. Um, but I also allow for some, some deviations from that as well, as long as it's not done in excess. How about, um, so when you uh, get into the actual routine, um, are you doing aerobic and lifting? Are you doing the sort of high intensity interval training where that the aerobic is the lifting or, um, or do you just pattern it to the people? Uh, maybe what do you recommend? What's worked for you? What have you seen give uh, your clients um, good results? Yeah, I, I take uh, what I would probably describe as more of an old school uh, method to training. And so it's, it's weightlifting predominantly for the resistance training portion. And that's uh, applying progressive overload. So that is one of the, the, the biggest things that a lot of men can be doing is, you know, I, I see men that go to the gym and they're, they're in the gym three, four, five days a week and they're not getting results and their muscles aren't really changing. They're not getting any stronger because they're going in there. They're lifting the same weights for the same number of reps week after week after week and, and wondering why they're not changing. And the principle of progressive overload simply states that as your muscles grow and adapt, you need to continue to apply increasing levels of stress to continue to break those muscle fibers down and help them to grow, grow stronger. And that takes a, a strategic approach. And so I explain in the book how to do that. And essentially what that looks like is just tracking, tracking your weights and making sure that when you're going to the gym and you're, and you're doing that set of, of dumbbell curls or barbell curls, whatever it is you're doing, you're, you're doing your damnedest to get more reps with that weight than you did the last time. That doesn't mean you're going to do it every time, but that, ha- that should be the goal. And once you, once you hit, so, so for instance, um, uh, the rep ranges that I, that I prescribe change, and there's a reason for that. So you want to be lifting heavy weights at times and also lighter weights at other times. And the reason for that is that the uh, lower weight and um, higher rep ranges uh, allow your muscles to become fuller, whereas the lower, the lower rep, higher weight training allows your muscle tissues to grow faster. And the, the technical terms for that are myofibrillar uh, hypertrophy, which is the addition of new muscle tissue. So that happens uh, better with lower uh, rep, higher weight training. And sarcoplasmic hypertrophy is what happens uh, to a greater degree when you're using lighter weights at higher rep, higher rep ranges. Um, so let's say you're training at a lower rep range, and that typically would be somewhere in the four to eight reps. And you're using whatever, you're bench pressing 225 pounds. And you, every, every week you're going, you're going in, you're doing that training session and you're doing that lift. And when you get to where you can do eight reps of that weight, you're going to add five pounds and you're going to keep with that weight until you get up to eight reps. And then you add another five pounds and you're going to do that weight until you get up to eight reps. And, and that's how you can intelligently apply progressive overload to make sure that your muscles continue to grow. They continue to develop and combining that with the different rep ranges, uh, really works wonders for a lot of men 
And that was something that I had learned and nobody had ever taught me. And when I started doing that, it made a huge difference in my ability to build muscle mass. And you can see my before and after pictures um, on deathblowtodadbod.com. And it, it really is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw them. They're they're really impressive. Well, um, let's uh, let's tell the guys where they can find the book. So the book's at deathblowtodadbod.com, right? Deathblow to the dadbod.com. There we go. Get that the in there. We'll put the links in there. Also, where can people find you on uh, social and elsewhere? Yeah, so on Twitter is where I'm most active, and my handle is masculine design. Uh, the website is masculinebydesign.com. Um, I am uh, in the process of really revamping my my blogging on there. I've, I've taken a little bit of a step back from podcasting for the time being. I will be getting back to that uh, here in another month or two. I'm um, doing some restructuring on the blog. I have a lot of uh, new new uh, new pieces of content that I'm planning to roll out, and uh, so that's the best place to find me. You can sign up for my newsletter there as well. Anywhere on that on the site, um, that's where uh, basically I I share a little bit more insights about what I'm doing, what's bringing me value as a man. And also just keeping you up to speed with everything I'm working on. I have a number of, of new products as well that I, and services that I'm going to be releasing here in the near future. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank great. you, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, it's been great having you on. And uh, we hope that people will follow up with you to find out more about what you do because it is excellent. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Hey.